Welcome to you, wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Got a great teaching on tap. Before we jump into that, do want to mention uh, the U version of the Bible. It's an absolutely free app you can download on your phone or your device. In addition to a bunch of other resources, video clips, reading plans, uh, you'll search the drop-down menu under events, Arlington FM Church. You will find a complete set of notes for today's message. Well, we are in a series called My Good Habits because really so much of what we do, we do out of habit, ways that we think, ways that we react, opinions that we hold, choices that we make. Uh, so many uh, of the life-influencing decisions we do out of habit. In fact, habit is described in this way, a usual way of behaving, something uh, that we do often and in a regular, in a repeated way. Think about biting your fingernails, uh, an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. In fact, uh, the, the truth is the majority of our lives are shaped by the habits that we form, whether they're good or they're bad. We've been looking at this uh, great quote from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, when you sow an act, you reap a habit. Uh, when you reap a habit or sow a habit, you reap a character. And so our habits shape who we're becoming. And then his final statement is, uh, when you sow or you plant, or you extend and invest a character, you reap a destiny. And so our habits uh, in this series, our contention is our habits not only shape our future, but they dictate and determine our experience of God. Our spirituality is often formed by our habitual ways of behavior. Uh, and we can uh, literally open or close the door on God flooding into our day-to-day -day experience by the habits that we establish. And uh, so the essence of this series is how do we establish a few good habits that will lead us to a great future. And uh, here is one of our essential truths that runs through the entire series. To make big changes in your life, you have to think, start, and celebrate small. Uh, this is the nature of establishing a few good habits as we start small, and we believe that that is good enough. In fact, uh, this wonderful verse from the Old Testament, uh, Zechariah speaking the heart of God. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Uh, and, and we can too. We can celebrate the small things we do to establish a few good habits in our lives. You know, a few good habits, small as they may be, can be life-changing. In fact, another truth we've brought into this series is that there are some habits referred to as keystone habits. These are habits that automatically lead to positive behaviors and other positive effects in your life. In other words, do a few good things and many good things result. Habits spark chain reactions, keystone habits do, that help other good habits take hold. Well, uh, if you were with us weeks one and two, we took this profound, gargantuan uh, statement from Paul's letter to his friends in Rome, and we turned it into two very small, doable habits that can change our experience of God. Uh, here's the verses again, in case you missed it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of all that God has done, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, present your entire life to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be changed or transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve, and the insinuation is experience God's good's will, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. And see, Paul is describing here a life that has the fingerprints of God all over it. It's a life that incorporates uh, the amazing truths of Romans 1 through 11, uh, where humans who had drifted from God, all of us together in the same sinking ship, as Paul would say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this amazing thing God has done to bring us back to himself, uh, the revelation of himself through the person of Jesus. And now in in Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul brings it down to earth. If these things are all true, if we've been reunited with our Creator and He is now causing all things to work in our lives for good, what does that look like? And how do we cooperate and align? How do we turn our habits in such a way that we're swinging the door wide for God to shape and bring His fullness into our lives? And so these two very small, doable habits, keystone habit number one, Begin every day with this declaration. It's a great day to worship God. And punctuate that statement by the lifting of your hands. Uh, That's very doable. It's very simple. And yet it will orient your life in a way that's consistent with Paul's invitation to be transformed uh, by the good and perfect and pleasing will of God. Here's keystone habit number two. Uh, Challenge one thought a day. Just one thing that runs through your cranium, one way of looking at life, uh, one way of kind of assessing your reality and challenge that, question it and say, uh, is this the best way to view, uh, to think, to feel or to react? And then uh, imagine uh, what would be a better way or perhaps even an opposite response. You know, I, uh, I saw a great testimony of this truth being lived out uh, to actually question the way you view your life and your current circumstance. Uh, this was a true story of a guy who was addicted to heroin uh, for decades, and he had done everything he could to break this uh, self-killing habit that he had. He'd gone to some of the best treatment centers in the country, and every time he relapsed, uh, continued on with his addiction. In fact, he had a brother who overdosed of the very same addiction, and that still he couldn't break this incredibly debilitating habit. One day he woke up, his thoughts went down the same rabbit trails. Uh, How do I get my daily fix? What do I need to do to get uh, high again? And uh, all of a sudden, uh, he had a different thought. And the thought was this, uh, I don't need to live like this. And lo and behold, uh, that one thought liberated him and he did what he he couldn't do through all of his treatment programs Uh, he got free of his addiction he questioned a way of thinking that wasn't necessarily true and uh, maybe yours would be less dramatic Uh, maybe the thought you challenge uh, would be something like uh man i feel uh, tired today and uh, maybe you would just question that perception and say uh hey uh, i got out of bed 
I'm upright and I'm underway. Or uh, maybe your thought would be something like, I I could never forgive him for that. Perhaps you would challenge that thought. And you would think, you know what? I've carried that offense long enough. It's time to let it go. Uh, Maybe your your thought would be, uh, today is hopeless. And uh, rather than just living in that reality, you would challenge that thought and say, you know what? Uh, No, that's not true. I've hung in there. I've been faithful. God is with me, and God is faithful, and he will be faithful. Well, I would say this. If you're listening to this series, and you're not practicing uh, these small, doable keystone habits, I would encourage you, give them a try, because as James, the brother of Jesus, said, the blessing comes in the doing, and great things can come into our lives when we establish a few small keystone habits. I love the recent example of a 90-year-old William Shatner, Captain Kirk, who uh, went into space, uh, the oldest man to ever break the Earth's gravitational pull. And, uh, you know, that began uh, with a small uh, response. He said, I'm open to considering it. In fact, uh, he committed to go, but he said days, up until days before the actual launch, he was terrified. But that didn't stop him from putting one foot in front of the other and doing the things he could do that would take him to places he could only dream and imagine he would be. Well, uh, here's a key to these keystone habits. If you're going to do them regularly, attach them to something you do every day. Uh, For me, it's uh, when I get out of bed, I make the statement, it's a great day to worship God and up go the hands uh, for the challenging one of my thoughts. It comes when I'm uh, feeling intensely about something. Maybe I'm annoyed. Maybe I'm frustrated. Maybe I'm feeling insecure, frightened. Uh, I take that as a key to challenge that thought. And so uh, as we get into uh, today's teaching and reveal our third keystone habit, uh, I would say this as, as kind of a heading of this part of Paul's letter. The more I concern myself with bless- blessing others, the more I will experience God blessing me. Uh, Hear that again. Uh, This is a kind of a category uh, of Paul's teaching here. The more I concern myself with blessing people, the more I will experience God blessing me. And why is that true? Uh, It's how God created our universe to work. Uh, Whatever time, talents, and treasures we have, if we use them for good, they grow, they increase, and they multiply. That's why Jesus said to the one who has, more will be given. In another teaching, Jesus said, the measure you use will be the measure that is used to give back to you. Uh, The generosity, uh, the fullness, uh, the abandonment in which we give ourselves to being an encouragement and a source of hope to others, that same measure will be used in God bringing uh, his good into our lives. Well, uh, let's jump in. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, uh, here's how Paul gets us into this idea. He says, now, for the grace, by the grace of God that is given to me, I say to every one of you, in fact, if you're listening to these words, you might just say that out loud. Uh, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Now, it's interesting, as Paul is bringing the profound truth of the good news Uh, down to earth in our lives, uh, 
how we live out the perfect, the pleasing, the good will of God, how we experience a renewing of our mind, uh, his first real tangible way he calls us to do that is don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. I heard an interview with a football player recently, and he was talking about why he chose one university over another. And he basically said, well, I didn't want to go to that school and be perceived as an idiot. But the truth of the matter is, as he was talking, the very way he was talking was revealing that he's probably already down, well down that road and uh, thinking of ourselves more highly than we should. You know, that comes in many different expressions. In fact, we've established in Paul's letter to his friends in Rome, uh, it was one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter is they had allowed their faith to give them a sense of superiority. They were using their uh, beliefs about God to exalt and lift themselves up over others. Uh, does that sound familiar? You know anyone who's doing that? You ever been caught in that way of living out your faith? You know, we, we know things are true if we are in Christ, that we've been forgiven, we've been adopted by God, we are children of God. We're no longer dead in our sins, but we're alive to God. We're people of the truth because we know that the truth sets us free. We know that God has given us his word, the Bible, and we declare uh, that it's our foundation for living. We approve of the things that God approves of, and we despise the things that uh, distance people from God. And yes, all of those things are true. And so is this. In spite of all those realities, we're still called by the word of God to not think of ourselves more highly then we ought to. Uh, you want to experience God's blessing, Paul is saying. Uh, get in this habit. Uh, don't look at yourself as being higher than you really are. Uh, he goes on, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. Uh, now, this is incredibly important, what Paul is presenting here. Uh, let's talk about the idea of sober judgment. Uh, you know, I had a friend who, um, he was pastor. In fact, he was my boss at the time. Not going to mention his name. Uh, but he had the perception of himself that he was a good golfer. And uh, if you showed up and saw him on the course or looked at him getting ready to golf, it looked like he was. He had all the right equipment, all the right clothing, all the right demeanor. Uh, but when you actually played golf with him, he wasn't very good at all. In fact, uh, he unfortunately developed a reputation of fudging on his scores. And uh, we'll leave it at that. But, you know, it's easy to have a perception of ourselves that is really inaccurate. In fact, uh, behaviorists, uh, they, they uh, view this tendency uh, what they call an aspirational self-image. And all of us have it. Uh, we have a way of seeing ourselves that uh, we like to feel good about. And, uh, but the truth of the matter is, that's often, there's often some distance between our self-perception and what the reality really is. Uh, ask those people that are closest to us, and uh, you begin to get an idea 
of what thinking of ourselves with sober judgment is. Uh, this is the guy who always thought he was a good husband until uh, one day he comes down to the kitchen and sees a note, and it says, uh, I'm leaving. I've gone back to live with my parents and not coming back until things change. Uh, this is the person who walks out of the doctor's office after being told, uh, you're either going to change your lifestyle or you're going to plan for a life of uh, insulin injections. Uh, that man suddenly uh, is seeing himself with sober judgment. Uh, this is uh, the person that spends their, their resources like there's no tomorrow. And then tomorrow shows up and the resources are gone. And suddenly uh, there's a, a glimpse of reality. Uh, that's the idea of what Paul is saying. Uh, reality breaks through and we catch a glimpse of ourselves as we really are. Uh, yes, we are loved by God. Yes, we are forgiven. And yes, we are full of flaws and inconsistencies. And Paul says, look, if you, if you want your life uh, to be worshipful, if you want your life to be on a pathway of transformation, becoming more like Christ, experiencing the good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God, uh, then you have to break this bad habit of seeing yourself more highly than you ought and seeing yourself with sober judgment. Um, when you think of yourself, catch yourself uh, lifting yourself above others. In fact, Jesus said it like this. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. What's he saying? Don't put yourself above others. Don't even put yourself alongside of others, but learn to put yourself under others for the sake of serving them. And now, if you're like me, that's a big pill to swallow because there's something about that that seems a bit demeaning and demoralizing. Uh, but Jesus said quite the contrary. This is the pathway to true greatness and empowerment in living the kind of life that is full of the blessing of God. Uh, Paul would say, uh, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that has been distributed or given to you. What's he saying? Uh, Paul is saying, look, uh, God has given you a unique, a particular experience of his life. He's distributed that to you. Learn to see yourself as a recipient of this gift from God, this gracious gift of God that is meant to bring his life to others. I saw a great example of this this past week. A couple living in a home in the Seattle area where we've had more than our share of rain. There was a landslide on the hillside that their home was built on. And uh, being in their home when this took place, uh, instantly uh, half of their house was gone. Uh, their dog swept away and uh, killed by this landslide. Uh, the husband was trapped, pinned underneath the refrigerator, as he shares it, uh, multiple uh, abrasions and fractures and a nail driven through his knee. Somehow the wife had escaped unharmed, and uh, over the ensuing hours uh, he was rescued from his predicament, and as they interviewed this couple, uh, they disclosed, you know, we didn't have insurance because the insurance uh, that covered this would have been as much as our mortgage. We just never assumed something like this would happen, but at the conclusion, uh, they said, 
We're grateful. We're grateful to be alive. We're grateful to have each other. And we're grateful to have people who care about us. Well, uh, that's a particular expression of the grace of God. And that uh, their story is encouraging and moving others uh, to live more gratefully. And uh, what Paul is saying is, look, uh, as someone who has chosen to put your hope in Christ, you have a unique, you have a peculiar experience of the grace of God that allows you uh, to bring the hope and the life of Jesus to others. Uh, one friend of mine uh, uses the phrase, we are hope dealers, uh, much like that drug addict finding someone who would support his habit. We're dealers of hope uh, in the alleyways, in the uh, the brokenness of our world. Uh, we have this hope from God, and we get to dispense it to others. Uh, been reading a book lately uh, with simple title, Jesus. And it's uh, by an author named Max Licato. Uh, in his book, Jesus, uh, he has a chapter called He Stooped for Her. And uh, he's commenting on Jesus' interaction with a woman caught in adultery. She's about to be executed by her accusers. And uh, Licato writes, As her accusers stood with hands squeezing stones to throw and snarling lips to accuse, no one would speak for her. But there was someone who would stoop for her. And John 8, 6 says, Jesus stooped down and he rode in the dust. He descended lower than anyone else beneath the priests, beneath the people who were accusing her, even lower than the woman herself. The accusers looked down on her. To see Jesus, they had to look down even further. And then he makes this uh, assessment. Jesus is prone to stoop. He stooped to wash feet, to embrace children. He stooped to pull Peter out of the troubled sea. Uh, he stooped to pray in the garden. He stooped before the Roman whipping post. He stooped to carry the cross. Uh, see, Grace, Licato says, is a God who stoops for people. Uh, here, he stooped to write in the sand to protect a desperate woman from her religious accusers. And uh, he goes on, and he stooped for you, low enough to sleep in a manger, low enough to work in a carpentry shop, to sleep in a fishing boat, low enough to rub shoulders with crooks and lepers, low enough to be spat upon, slapped, nailed, and speared, low, low, low enough to be buried. And when you think about yourself, uh, Paul says, uh, rather than thinking too highly of yourself and putting yourself above others, above others how about uh, mimicking the example of Jesus and stooping on behalf of and to bring hope to and help to others? Uh, Paul goes on, he says in verse 4, uh, for just as each of us has one body, we have one, only one body to work with, but we have many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Uh, Paul is saying, look, when you think of yourself, uh, think of yourself as one who is duty-bound to others. Uh, you're part of something bigger than yourself. In fact, uh, he says, think of yourself as belonging to others who are following Christ. Uh, in this analogy, he calls the body 
of Christ. If you're going to think of yourself as a person of faith who walks with Jesus, uh, think of yourself as someone who belongs to those whom Jesus loves. Uh, He goes on. Now look, in this body analogy, we have different gifts. According to the grace, there's that measure of faith given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying or speaking truth clearly, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, well, then serve. If it's teaching, well, then uh, open up the truth to others. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's in giving, then give generously. If your your grace that's on your life is to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And so uh, here's an amazing truth that Paul is bringing into clarity. If we follow Christ, uh, if you have faith in Christ, you have been entrusted with a special experience of God that is meant to bless, to encourage, and to strengthen the body of Christ. Uh, Hear those words again. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have been entrusted with special abilities, a measure of faith to bless, to encourage, and to strengthen those whom you belong to, the body of Christ. Uh, You might say it more plainly. uh, If you are loved by God, you have a special ability to love people. You know, this is, uh, Paul put this out there at the very beginning of his letter to Rome. He says in Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, I long to see you. I I wish I could come and be with you so that I could impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Uh, And see, there's the essence uh, of this unique experience we have of God is that we might encourage and strengthen others that we interact with. In fact, uh, if you want to develop this habit of seeing yourself as being uh, equipped with something unique from God to help and encourage and strengthen others, uh, Paul says, we not only do this habitually, but we learn to do it really well. In fact, uh, Paul uses three words to describe the way in which we should belong to and use our talents and abilities to encourage and strengthen others. The three words he uses are generously, diligently, and cheerfully. Uh, Those are wonderful attributes. Uh, Generously is with an openness of heart, no strings attached, no pretense, no agenda, no expectations other than a desire to encourage and strengthen people. Uh, Diligently, it means I'm all in. I'm not half-hearted. I'm not second-guessing. This is what I am about, and this is what I stand for. And to do it cheerfully, uh, you know, the word actually means hilariously. Have fun using your unique experience of God to encourage and strengthen others. I would say it like this. uh, Whatever you do to serve Christ's body, you should do it well, and you should do it with all your heart. Uh, You know, I heard a story of a of uh, a man who was working on the railroad uh, gang, uh, laying down track in the 1800s. And uh, he was uh, uh, not a, a countryman with the rest of the guys on his crew. And they decided that, that they would uh, humor themselves by making fun of him. 
They did things like short sheeting his bed and putting nails in between his sheets, uh, nailing his shoes to the floor. And this went on uh, for weeks and weeks. He continually asked them to stop. They refused to. And uh, one day they just kind of noticed his humble demeanor and uh, they thought, you know, maybe enough is enough. And so they said to him, you know what? Uh, we're going to stop with the pranks. Uh, you're one of us. And he said, you mean uh, no more short sheets? No more. No more nails in bed? No more. No more nailing my shoes to the floor? No more. He said, okay, uh, then I will no more spit in soup. <laughs> he was the cook. And uh, that was uh, the way that he returned uh, the abuse that he felt he was suffering from them. And uh, I think there's an important point to that story is, uh, you know, we can, we can do what we do. Uh, we can use what we think are our talents and abilities to kind of help others out. But if we do it half-heartedly, it's kind of like that guy spitting in the soup. In fact, as I thought about this and the way that the body of Christ is currently uh, functioning, and uh, I believe that there's a sin variant attacking Christ's body right now. Uh, it's epidemic. It's showing up. Uh, it's contagious. It's easy to uh, get in environments where this is passed on uh, from one person to the other. And uh, here's what I would call the sin variant attacking the body of Christ. It's passive-aggressive behavior. It's uh, people who are offended, uh, people who've been hurt, uh, people who feel misunderstood. And uh, rather than dealing with that in adult ways and processing through it and allowing God to use it for good, for their own growth and the growth of relationships, uh, they turn that uh, offense, that hurt, that disagreement into an excuse, into a reason for bad behavior and uh, into reasons uh, for not bringing our best uh, to encourage and to strengthen others, uh, for not doing it uh, generously and diligently and cheerfully. And, uh, you know, I think that um, these excuses, they sound like good reasons. Uh, well, I'm not going to do this because that person did that. Or uh, he said this to me and therefore I'm going to pull back. Uh, they're doing these things, and uh, so therefore I'm not going to bring my best. And whatever uh, reasons uh, we have for not serving well, uh, for not stooping in the manner that Jesus stooped in order to lift others up, uh, really, those, those are not good reasons. Uh, they generally tend to be excuses for withholding our best from God and to others. And uh, here's a good question to ask. Uh, when we act passive-aggressively, when we withhold uh, our best from lifting others up, uh, who loses? The short answer is everyone, because uh, the body of Christ suffers when one of its parts is not fun functioning as it should. You know, I had the painful experience of uh, seeing my 18-year-old sister uh, die of kidney failure, and uh, what a, a profound uh, eye-opening experience uh, of what happens when a part of our body shut down and doesn't do its part. Uh, it's life-threatening. It's lethal. And uh, it's no less damaging, uh, Paul would say, when followers of Christ uh, don't bring their that portion of faith uh, that's been distributed to them 
when they don't bring that in enthusiastic service to the people of God and to the people God loves. Uh, everyone suffers. Well, uh, here's a, a story I want to end with, um, and it's where uh, Jesus addresses uh, this uh, desire to uh, see his people use what they have uh, to bless and encourage and strengthen others. And, and what happens when uh, we find excuses, we find reasons uh, for not bringing our best into that level of service to others. It's called the parable of the talents. You may be familiar with it. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, in this story, uh, Jesus is coming to the end of his time here on earth. He knows the cross awaits him. And so he begins to talk to people of faith, people who want to follow him. He begins to talk to them about what life will be like in the absence of his physical presence. And uh, here's how he describes it. He said, it'll be like a man who's going on a journey, uh, who called his servants, and he entrusted wealth to them. Uh, to the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Think about that language of Paul. A measure of faith has been distributed to each one of us. And then uh, Jesus went on his journey. And he goes on his, uh, his story. He says, the man who had received five bags of gold, uh, hear this, went at once and he put his money to work and he gained five bags more. And so also the one with two bags of gold, he gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Uh, well, after a long time, Jesus said, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. Now the man who had received five bags of gold, he brought the other five with him. And he said, Master, look, I've done a good job. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. Look, I've gained five more. Well, his master replied, keep in mind, this is Jesus telling the story. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little things, with the few things that were entrusted to you. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And I want to pause at this point and say, look, Jesus is not telling this story about money. He's not interested in material uh, increase. What he's telling the story is about is what we do with the faith that's been given to us. And, and do we take that portion, uh, that uh, our experience of God, and use it in ways that accomplish the mission of God to reach others with this hope and this good news of forgiveness and new life in Christ? Well, the same story, the guy with the two bags, uh, he used what had been given to him. It multiplied. And Jesus said that the master will welcome him into his happiness. But there's a much different uh, ending for the guy who had one bag. Uh, verse 24, Matthew chapter 25. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. Harvesting where you had not sown. And gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, uh, imagine... Uh, this guy coming uh, to uh, the guy who had entrusted wealth to him and saying, look, I know you're a difficult guy to work with. You're demanding. You know, you're, you're judgmental. And uh, so here's what I did. I was afraid. And I went and I hid your gold in the ground. And see here, 
I'm giving back to you what belongs to you. And uh, here's the truth that Jesus is bringing to the forefront. Uh, This man blamed God for his decision to not serve well. Uh, He stood in judgment. Uh, The reason I did what I did, the reason I acted the way I did, the the reason I withheld and uh, drew back is because I knew that God is demanding. He blamed God for his decision to not serve well. You might say he made excuses for mismanaging what had been entrusted to him. And uh, if you take this and uh, apply it uh, to our text this morning, uh, he had a view of himself that was higher than it should have been. He saw himself as someone who was God-honoring, God-fearing, and and really the truth of the matter is he was anything but those. His behavior reflected his experience of God. And so Jesus said in his story, his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and you gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. Uh, Jesus is calling him on his bluff. He's calling him on his uh, misperception of himself. He's saying, look, the reason uh, you didn't do good with what was entrusted to you uh, has nothing to do with the nature of God, and it has everything to do with the choices you made uh, to not give what was given to you in order to broaden uh, your master's kingdom. And uh, so I would just uh, say at the end of this message, you know, uh, the pathway to becoming those faithful servants, uh, to uh, multiplying this portion of faith that has been entrusted to us is using it to serve others. It's using it to uh, bring our best. Uh, When we really get the nature of God, And what he's allowed us to experience in our own forgiveness and our journey of faith, we realize that the greatest response of gratitude is to serve people generously, uh, to invest in others diligently, and to uh, do it all cheerfully and joyfully. Uh, Before we pray, uh, I came across a story that I think really illustrates uh, the heart that Paul and that Christ is trying to communicate to us Uh, this weekend. Uh, This is a story of of a hospital, the University of Michigan uh, Medical Center. It says if you visited uh, the U of M uh, hospital, uh, it wouldn't be long before cancer patients told you how grateful they were for Candace Walker. Her mission was not only to protect their fragile immune systems, it was also to care for their fragile emotions. Uh, She called the chemotherapy center the House of Hope. Candace was often the first one to console families when their loved ones went through treatment. She showed up with bagels and coffee. She would make patients laugh by telling stories about her cats, drinking her milk, or showing them that she had accidentally put on one brown sock and one blue sock that morning. One day she saw a patient on the floor of an elevator writhing in pain, and the staff members nearby weren't sure what to do. Candace immediately took charge. She rushed the woman into a wheelchair, took her up in the elevator for urgent treatment. The patient later called her my savior. Uh, And then here's the kicker of the story. Uh, Candace Walker wasn't a doctor. She wasn't a nurse. 
She wasn't a social worker either. She was a custodian, and her official job was to keep the cancer center clean. Uh, and uh, Candace was a part of a team that embraced the same reality uh, that they were there not just to do a job, not just to fulfill a duty, but to stoop, uh, to, to put themselves below others so that they can encourage and strengthen and bring hope to others. And what they did, uh, they, did uh, they did generously. What they gave, uh, they gave uh, cheerfully, and uh, they did it intentionally as God invites us to. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we want to thank you uh, for this adventure of faith that you've called us on. And uh, thank you, God, that small steps can produce great uh, outcomes uh, in our lives. And uh, Lord, we would just ask you to, to um, fiddle, tinker with our habits, our habitual ways of, in this case, uh, responding to people, of dealing with offenses, uh, of how we approach our service to others as our worship to you, and I would just thank you, God, that uh, you can lay down uh, some new pathways in us uh, that will motivate us, that will stir us, that will compel us. Maybe we would have the thought today, you know, I don't need to approach uh, my interaction with people the way that I have been. Uh, I can be dramatically different today and imagine with God's help what that would look like for you as uh, you take that that measure of faith, that portion uh, and whatever your gifts, your talents, or abilities are, you would offer them in a fresh way uh, as worship to God and as service to others. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, well, maybe you're thinking uh, as we come to the end of this message, uh, where's the keystone habit? I thought we were going to get keystone habit number three. Well, I saved it for last. And uh, so uh, here we go. Uh, coming from this amazing text where Paul invites us uh, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, but to uh, really uh, with joy and gratitude and intentionality invest ourselves in others. Uh, here's a keystone habit. Though small, will turn you in that direction. Uh, make this aspirational statement. Every day, once a day, and in fact, you can take a screenshot of this. You can come back and replay this message. But uh, here's the aspirational statement that I'm inviting us all to, to make uh, every day. And the key would be to tie it to a behavior you already do. Maybe it's when you pour that first cup of coffee and you would say this out loud. Today, I'm going to use my time, talents, and treasures to bring hope to someone and I will do it generously, diligently, and cheerfully. Uh, just read that with me again. Today, uh, I am going to use my time, talents, and treasures to bring hope to someone, just one person, and I will do it generously, diligently, and cheerfully. And then uh, here's the uh, punctuation. At the end of the day, maybe it's when you're brushing your teeth, uh, give yourself a success rating. Again, think sober judgment. Uh, how did I do? Use a scale of one to five, and the one would be, well, maybe tomorrow will be better, and five would be nailed it today. Thank you, Jesus. And I, I, I just guarantee you, if you will let that become a small keystone habit in your life, uh, it will open up doors of serving 
and becoming great in the ways that Jesus defined greatness in ways that you never could have imagined 